All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. amen. Quickly, let's open our Bibles to the book of um, Jeremiah chapter 10. Uh, we are going to declare the glory of God from there this um, evening. Jeremiah chapter 10. I, I believe many of us know it by heart now. If you are there, say amen. All right, I want to let's go. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name in might. Who will not fear you, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations, and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. They are all together stupid and foolish. In their discipline of delusion, their idol is wood. Beating silver is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Ophers. What a last man. Violet and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God, is the living God, the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, The gods that did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he has stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and brings down the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. The portion of Jacob is not like this, for the maker of all is he, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. If you believe that, give me an amen. amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. There's one portion here that I really like. It says that, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth. Which verse is that? Verse 11. It said, they shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It said, in the time of their judgment, they will perish. I say it again. Every god that is pretending and trying to usurp the position of Jesus on this earth, before the people, in the hearts of the people of this earth, in this season, they shall perish from this earth in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We declare again that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Everybody say after me, Jesus is Lord. Lord. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the the Redeemer of Mankind. He's the the Lamb of God God. that takes away the sins of the whole world. world. Say it, He's exalted. He's exalted. exalted. And the world will see it that He is exalted in the name of Jesus Christ. All right, the Lord is good. Before we take our seats, let's quickly take our declaration of understanding as we usually do. One, two, let's go. Now I declare. The Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. 
It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. amen. And that's what God will do for you today in Jesus' name. Amen. As you pay attention, the word will enter into your heart. Amen. It will give you light. Amen. It will give you direction. Amen. It will heal in every area. Amen. And it will make you more than ever before like the Lord Jesus. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats quickly. Let's get into our teaching for today. All right, let's open our Bibles quickly. We are going to go to 1 Samuel. Uh, we have been looking at um, the life of David, and we are taking some important lessons from the life of that great man of God, King David. Uh, there are a number of things that we need to remember. Let me just remind us. The key thing we are looking at in all these things is what it takes to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have said before that there are many aspects of the Lord Jesus, the life of Jesus that was not expressly or that were not expressly stated in the scriptures. But when we look at the lives of the great heroes of faith, we see snippets of the things not written about the life of Jesus on the earth. The things that made God look at him and say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We see those things in the lives of these people. So we have looked at people like Moses. We have looked at um, uh, Ruth. And we just keep on looking for different ways to improve our spiritual character, which is what God wants from us. He wants us to get better as people. That's what we are, actually, we are aiming at. We look at different things, say the same things again and again. As has been said, repetition is the mother of lasting impression. And when there is no repetition, they say the people are not established. So we may say the same thing that we have said many times before. But the aim is so that we will be established in the truth that God is revealing to us from the scriptures. So we're going to continue reading, um, looking at the life of this um, uh, man, David. And what I want us to look at today is, um, I, have it, funny enough, I have a kind of title for what I want to talk about today. It's something about the power of the anointing. All right, but I'm going to change the title later on as we go on. But I just want to bring out something for us to see here. I'll quickly open to the book of First Samuel chapter 17. First Samuel chapter 17. I want to read a story which we all know, of course. It's um, about the challenge of Goliath against the people of Israel. First Samuel chapter 17. Which verse should I start from? Okay, let's just start from verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Now what I want to bring out is the story of Goliath. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, people have interpreted that different ways, but some Bibles will tell you that the man was about, uh, if you read the uh, maybe New Living Translation, what does it say there? It says it was over nine feet tall. Now, that's quite some height. You know what they call nine feet? That's quite some height. He <laughs> said, now please, so as to save time, I may jump some things because the story we all know very well. Let me just get to the main thing that I want us to learn from it. 
He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor. Verse 6 says, he also had bronze greaves on his legs, and the bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. He was well armed. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. Now, please note that. He said he was tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. That's about, um, how many kg is that? Between 8 and 9 kg, thereabout. All right? Have No, kg. That would be like 6 to 7. Yes, between 6 to 7 kg. That's just 4. That's quite heavy. All right? That's some weight. Now, let me go down to verse, um, okay, 8. He said, he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. In verse 11, we read that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, David. Somebody say, now, David. Now, David. Say that again. Now, David. Say, now, David was a son of the Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among them. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. Now, I'm going to just save time. Verse 14 says, David was the youngest. Now, the three oldest sons followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock. Remember the story, how he came into the household of Saul because of his musical talent. Now, the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Now, Jesse said to David, his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain. He said in verse 18, Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand. And in verse 19, say, For Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. I'm trying to just cut the reading short. So David rose early in the morning, and then... He came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Remember, I'm jumping lines. And in verse 21, Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. When he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled. Now, let me just quickly get down here to where I'm going. The men of Israel said in verse 25, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should taunt the armies of the living God? 
Then that's when the people answered him like that. Now I'm going to jump what his brother said. So as to save our time. I will now go to what happened when he went to see Saul. Verse 31. When the words we David spoke were heard, they were told them to Saul. And he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go up against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth. While he has been a warrior from his youth. That is, you, are just, you have not even started your warring career. But David said to Saul, please listen to this carefully. Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. He said, this, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Not my skill, it's the Lord. Bear that in mind. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Now, there is so much reading, and I know we know the story very well. Next, Saul clothed David in his garment, and David tried. It didn't work. So he said, I cannot go with these, in verse 39, for I have not tested them. So he took them off. He took his stick in his hand, in verse 40, chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with a shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. <laughs> you can't even send a human being. That's what he's thinking. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks and all of that? And he said, I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Instruments of war, you see. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. I don't think I need to read more than this. You know the rest of the story. I just wanted to amplify this one for us again. This, this is the life of David that we are looking at here. Now, because this has been a bit of some um, lengthy reading, I'll just remind us of what we read, first of all, from that's in previous time, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, in where God said to um, Samuel to go and anoint for him a king from the house of Jesse. You will remember that all the brothers came before him. David was not even called in. Afterwards, when God had shown that he rejected all the other sons of Jesse, Samuel asked, is there not yet any other one? And then David was brought in. And then we see that um, 
The Bible says in verse 13 of, of chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. Then Samuel took the horn of oil. Let me go back to verse, um, um, verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. I think I've done enough reading as a reminder for us. There's nobody that these stories um, will be new to. I mean, we've learned this since we were children, right? For, uh, unless we didn't grow up in a Christian environment, you know the story very well. Now, there's something I said earlier, just as a way of reminder. Now, if somebody may be listening to this by tape, uh, the recorded one, you would assume that um, uh, we just finished this one. What are you reminding us? For us here, there's been three, this is the, this is the three, now, since I came here last, this is the third Saturday, right? Third meeting. So there's been two complete weeks gone. So we need to do a bit of um, reminding ourselves of what we're talking about. Um, I explained then that David was a very small boy. Is I agree, everybody understands that he was small. And I put up an opinion that by the time he was anointed the first time, he had not killed the bear. By the time he was anointed, he had not killed the lion. And I tried to help us understand, and that's what I want to emphasize again, that it was the anointing upon him that set him on the path of lion killing. It was the anointing upon him that made him become a, um, a bear killer and ultimately a giant killer. Please, I need to emphasize this. Because, you see, God did not choose David. Because when I was thinking about what I would teach about today, I had two things in my mind. And good enough, as I'm teaching now, both of them are com- kind of coming together. I wanted to emphasize the part of the anointing, and I wanted to also emphasize the fact that David was not a perfect man. All right? The grace, the sure mercies, we'll talk about it as we go on. The sure mercies of David. The mercy that God showed to David. Mercy is shown to somebody who is not perfect. I hope you're getting my point. That's it. David was not chosen because he was perfect in himself. There was just one thing that God was looking for in the life of David, and he found. The fact that David's heart was panting after God. That's all he was looking for. He did not care that David was not perfect. And David certainly was not perfect. Now, let's get back to this other side of his imperfection. He was not strong. When, when Goliath saw him, he was like, what kind of thing is this? I hope you're getting my point. And that was when he was even much older. We established that years had passed between the time he was anointed and when he encountered Goliath. Because he had grown from that little boy. And he was already serving Saul, but going in and out from the presence of Saul. He was still keeping sheep for his father and serving Saul at certain times. Years had passed. We don't know exactly how long passed, okay? Now, yet, by the time Goliath was seeing him, he was still a little boy as far as Goliath was concerned. His father still didn't think you, you go to war yet. Just go and check on your brothers. So think about how small he was when he was anointed. The point I'm making is this. It was not like he was already killing um, lions and bears. And that's why God chose him, because he was a strong boy. He wasn't. You know, there's a reason why I'm emphasizing this. In fact, I was, I was thinking as I was coming up. Is it, I said, is it just Jacob I want to talk about? Or is it David? Because there's a trait you find in both of them, which God is looking for in our hearts. See, I said this to us before. You get, in, you get written in my, the book that's coming out shortly. Um, that's, um, we walk by faith. I explained it. See, in life, you act. Let me say it again or let me say it in a better way, you deliberately activate spiritual power into your life. 
Let me say that. You deliberately activate spiritual power into your life. It's something you do deliberately. You choose the realm you want to walk in. Life has different realms. Okay? There are basically... um, Yeah, let's just take three realms because we're talking about spirit, soul, and body. Okay? There's a realm of the spiritual. And then there's the realm of the soulish. Please, let me just use that expression. And then there's the basic physical realm in which animals live. Animals live only by instinct. They don't think. They don't reason. No matter how intelligent an animal appears, it's the instincts that are working. It's just signals fed in and out. They don't have any personal initiative. That's what animals are like. Okay? Now, human beings are beyond that level. They have a soul. So they have a personal willpower. They can initiate things not based on instinct. I hope you're getting my point. Yes, and that's why they can come to judgment. That's why God can sit you there and bring you to judgment. Because he can hold you responsible for your actions. Because actually, you initiated them. There may be, there may be some things that precipitated uh, the, your reaction. But the kind of reaction you choose is based on your personality. I don't know whether I get my point. For example, okay, I remember one movie I watched long ago. This, I'm just using an illustration, all right? I won't tell you the name of the movie. I don't even know the name. Okay, now I just remember the name now. But I won't tell you so that you won't go to Netflix and be looking for movies. <laughs> one of these big guys, he, he has been to war for, a lot, for some years, and he had not seen his wife in a long time. He came back home. So he seen your wife after a while. He and his wife now went out to a, somewhere, a restaurant, a bar or something. So they were just chilling, chilling. Some guys now decided to pick on him. You know, decided to make a... Just tried to make fun of the guy. So he got angry, and a fight broke out. And he killed the three men in self-defense. It's America. It should be self-defense, right? When he went to court, the judge said no. Now that's I'm talking about it. The judge said, your level of training? Ha. <laughs> no. You knew what to do. I hope you get my point. That you should have known that your reaction will kill these people. It was a fight. I understand that you are angry. But you are trained enough so he sent him to jail. The argument of self-defense did not fly with the judge. He said, because look at the kind of person that you are. Now, if it was somebody like me, who I've never been to war, I'm just a preacher, and I get a gun and I shoot the three people, they will say self-defense and I will go home. What I'm going to say, something precipitated the reaction, but he was held responsible for the reaction because he has his soul. He's, allowed, he's supposed to have thought. He had a chance to simply walk away. There were many options. I said, you know the depth of skill in your hand. You don't do that to human beings. You kill three people. Ah, the judge said, lie. you are going to jail for 15 years. Oh, yes, the judge sent him to jail for a very long time. Now, I'm telling this story to let us know that we are held responsible, okay? Because we have a soul. We can reason. We have emotions. We can decide, okay? Now, that's the second level by which people can walk. Now, there's another third level. Now, this second level, now, please, for time's sake, don't get stuck on this thing I'm saying. I'm just trying to be quick. I want to get to my main thing, all right? Now, there's another level beyond the level of human beings. Because this, this um, fleshly instinct level and this soul level I'm talking about are still on the physical realm. That's why we can sit down and plan as people, as families, as a society. But there's a realm that is higher than that. There's a realm that is much higher than that. And that is the realm of the spirit, okay? It's a realm in which you recruit the help of angels, is a help in which God, like if you see this particular situation, these people had weapons. Goliath had. He had. Saul had to give to David. David rejected. But David picked his own weapons, you know, stones and his sling, 
and they went to battle. But then, that's the physical level. The soul level, you see, see the decisions they were making, discussions they were having, it was in the soul level. But David decided to tap into another realm. What is that realm? He said, I'm not coming to you with my personal skill. I'm not coming to you with my instruments of war. I am coming, how? In the name of the Lord God of Israel, who you have been defying all this while. The man was invoking something. I hope you're getting my point. It was deliberate. Ah, please, I hope you get this point. It was deliberate. It was deliberate. You know, I saw one picture recently. If I share it around, all right, I stumbled into it. And they showed David and Goliath. Goliath was very short. David was very short. And Goliath was very, very tall. Then they now showed, of course, they showed two people, you know, David and Goliath. There's another guy on top of David who Goliath could not see. He was twice the height of Goliath. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. He was standing right above David and looking down at Goliath while Goliath was bending and looking at David. So I wrote a joke about it. I said, once upon a time, a young boy met a giant called Goliath. I said, here is the real story. And I posted that picture. And everybody laughed because the picture showed that it was not a young boy meeting a giant. It was a very mighty angel meeting a giant. I hope you're getting my point. Now, what I want to emphasize is that David deliberately invoked that into his situation. He decided that I will fight on the spiritual level. Let me say something to you. You know, I've said it many times. Satan doesn't have the kind of power people think he has. He doesn't have it. So, this is what he understands. If I fight in your tough, I can never win. But if you come to my tough, you can never win. So his temptation is simple. I get you to leave your own arena and come to my arena. That's the temptation. So let me give an example. Let's be practical about this. So the world says, how do I make sure these Christians are under my control? I will give them a physical, financial system by which they will plan their lives. Once they go into that, I have control over them. They can pray from now till tomorrow, I have control over them. I don't know why I get my point. This is what happens to Christians a lot of times. We go into the particular realm and start asking God, come and help on the devil's territory. I hope you're getting my point. Let me get an example. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. We decide we are going to worry about tomorrow. We have names for tomorrow's worries. They will now start (laughs) sowing seeds to ensure that our plans in the realm of worrying about tomorrow, as we lay up treasure on the earth, where thieves break in and steal, and where moth does destroy as we are laying it, God, please give us more money to lay up on the earth. Help us ward off the thieves. Help us so that moth will not destroy. Give us morticides. Did you hear the English? <laughs> There's insecticide. <laughs> all right, whatever be the okay, let me, that's why I call it morticide, all right? Give us pesticides to handle the pest that may try to, okay, destroy our laid up treasure. Meanwhile, God said, no, that's not how it works. Lay up your treasure where? In heaven. So I say all the time, do Christians plan for the future? Yes, just in a spiritual way. So when Jesus said, the children of this this world, they are more shrewd in their affairs than the the children of light. He wasn't saying, now if if you read, most people read it like this, I'm saying to you, make, um, how do you say it again? Make friends for yourself with my mom or Raj. No, Jesus said, do I say to you, Bollinger explained that to, to me, that I read in the book, in the, in the Bible, Companion Bible. That was a question he was, saying, he was asking. 
And the answer was clear. He said, what do I say to you? He that is faithful in the little thing will also be faithful in much. And if you have not been faithful in that which belongs to another person, who will give you your own? People don't understand. They misunderstand. They do not come and say, no. You see, the people of the world, they, they know how to plan. The Christians don't know how to plan. If you look at it, you know, properly, your statement is correct, but you are planning wrongly. Christians cannot plan like the world. Jesus told them how to plan their own future. He said, for you, lay up your treasure in heaven. Then anytime I give you something to do, the same way unbelievers steal and learn how to hide what they have stolen, that diligence to pursue their own method, use that diligence to pursue your own method. What is your own method? Faithfulness in that which belongs to another person. So if I give you a job to do, my name is God, right? Or no, maybe I'm not God, I'm a country, I'm a boss or something. When I give you that job to do, you will realize this is how I sow for my future. I hope you're getting my point. So what do I do? I sit down and start becoming so faithful in that which belongs to another person. Everybody will look at say, is this your father's business? You say, yes, indeed it is. It's my future I'm working for. But they're not paying you this much, I know. But Jesus said, if I have not been faithful in that which belongs to somebody else, nobody will give me my own. So when I'm at home, I'm plotting how my boss will get richer. I hope you're getting my point. It is not, in fact, like one of my friends said those is, ah, that uh, uh, he was working for a particular bank. He was just complaining to me that every time he goes, <laughs> he goes out, does that bank still exist? No, I don't, they don't exist anymore. One of those ones that uh, CBN has scattered them, you know, that he'll say, that, what can you do for this bank? He said, I can't even say, what can you do for me? He saw how he was laboring and making the bank rich every day. And he was like, can you use the same effort now? But the Bible said, no, as long as you're working there, no, what you are doing is the right thing. I hope you get my point. As long as you are working there, you must be diligent. Now, sometimes they will reward you best worker. They can give you a bonus. So that's not what you are working for. Your reward comes from God. It is God you are working for. From him comes your reward of your inheritance. I hope you get my point here. Now, what do we do? We deliberately, deliberately, oh God. He said you have ordained your precepts that we should obey them how? Diligently. We go the extra mile. Why nobody's watching? Why? That is our own method of laying up treasure. That was what Jesus was complaining about. Because what we have right now on the earth is that you see Christians, committed believers, supposedly, who run their lives with worldly principles. And we'll even be quoting it for you. Muslims do these things. And I keep on saying, once Muslims are doing it, once unbelievers are doing it, stop, look at it with suspicion. There has to be something you are doing which you call faith that nobody does because they don't know your Lord. Do you get my point there? There must be something that they are not doing because they don't know your Lord, which you are doing. Like I talk about the principle of Sabbath. I don't mean seven-day Sabbath because you never saw seventh-day Sabbath practiced anywhere until Moses was given the law. That tells you something. That there's something deeper about the Sabbath than the seven-day principle. There's something. Because Abraham walked with God, never practiced it. Isaac never did. Jacob never did. Nobody did. While they were in Egypt, they did not. It was on their way out that God gave them that seventh-day rest principle. That literal seventh-day. But the Sabbath principle was there all the while. What's an example of the Sabbath principle? A man like Abraham. 
He went to battle. He won. Collected the goods and then gave them back to the king, king of Sodom. Say, take. My interest is rescue Lot and his family. Why? I don't want you to say I made Abraham rich. What's the principle of Sabbath? Before then, he looked at Lot. Lot, choose anyone. Anyone you leave behind. I will take. I know I'm your uncle. I know I'm senior to you. I know I should go first. But I will let you go first. Why? I have a promise from God that's guiding my life. That's what I call the Sabbath principle. It's the reason why in today's terms, you can switch off your phone and say, no. They say, no, business can come at any time. Say, not while I'm asleep. I don't know whether I get my point. You say, no, no. Why? Because, like I say all the time, blessings are what? Commanded. They're not games of chance. So if my phone did not come on by 6 a.m. or 7 a.m., and somebody called by 5.30 and they took the business to my neighbor, like I say all the time, my neighbor too has to eat. Do I expect to feed him, his children, <laughs> pay his house rent, or build his house? No. Let him also labor. Anyone that goes to him is not mine. It's, it's called the rest principle, and that's what Sabbath is about. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So there are things we do by which we deliberately activate spiritual power into our lives. Talking about David. If you look at it, when David was going to face Goliath, <laughs> everything was the name of the Lord. He had a weapon in his hand, which was a stone. But really, he didn't have anything in his hand. I want to look at it. Because the other guy carried spear that the metal head alone is when we are, we are trying to decide the size. He had next to nothing. And sometimes in the scriptures, we have seen people come with literal nothing. Jehoshaphat came with people who were praising God. He put the soldiers behind. He put praisers in front. You know what that tells you? Were it not for faith? Those guys first slaughter all the... I mean, what thing concerning me? Now praise will go chop in battle. But the weapon he came with was praise. They were just declaring that God is good and his mercy endures forever. What about Gideon? Gideon came with nothing. Just came with 300 men who were running, who were carrying... Is it cup in their hand? Jog. <laughs> and carry fire and running. And then they broke it. And the sound they made as they were breaking their jugs. Those ones heard something else in the realm of the spirit. They came with no weapon. Believe me, forget that one that David carried. That was just like Gideon and his 300. That was just like Jehoshaphat and his praisers. He came, listen to me, with the confession of his lips. That was what he came with. He came declaring, listen. Sometimes we look at it and say, he prophesied that I will kill him. That was not the main thing. The main thing was that he came in the name of the Lord. I hope you're getting my point. The main thing was that he came in the name of the Lord. Because there's something I'm going to bring out here. And I said, I don't know what I want to talk about, David or, or, or Jacob. Because the problem, the problem, oh, let me, before I get to the problem, or should I just say the problem? And then, and I get so many things to say. The problem is that people don't diligently apply themselves to the available spiritual power. That's what I mean. The problem. What do I mean by J- J- Jacob? I'll tell you something quickly about Jacob. Jacob understood that there is a spiritual power, or that there was for him in his time, a spiritual power available. You could only get it 
by tapping into the covenant, a particular covenant that their father Isaac inherited from their grandfather Abraham. And they told him the principle of firstborn is that that thing was going to Esau. So Jacob said, there's no problem. I will buy it from Esau. He went to Esau said, Esau, sell it to me. Esau said, no, I'm not selling. What will it take? Nothing. Now, let me make the story short. Jacob went after that thing for a long time. Now, we may try and scandalize the man Jacob and say the way he did it was not right. But let me tell you what God was seeing in Jacob all the while. Now, how he went about it, was he right? Well, not exactly. It was not perfectly moral. It wasn't very good. There, were, there are better ways to do things. But you know one reason why God overlooked all of those things? And, uh, hey, I don't want to start teaching about Jacob now because he suffered for the things that he did wrong. But ultimately, why God blessed him was his sense of value that he had for that best right. And why Esau lost it was simply because of his lack of value. He didn't place value upon it. People keep on saying that Jacob took advantage of him while he was poor. And while he was in distress. But unfortunately, that, that begs the question. And I tell the same people who said, will you sell your old, you bought a 1999 model Corolla. Will you sell it when you are hungry? For one meat pie? You won't. So just think about that. So the Bible calls him, God called him a godless man. What is a godless man? Not the man who's going around shooting people and kidnapping people, but one who does not appreciate the portion of God in his life. For example, right now, many nations on this earth, they are godless. And so many of them are morally upright. They don't cheat. They, don't, they, they score very high on the... No, yeah, exactly. They don't take bribes. But people don't know. David Paulson said, when godliness disappears in one generation, goodness disappears in the next. Those nations give them one more generation. You won't want to live there. They will be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you something. Sodom and Gomorrah was not only about homosexuality. Sodom was a horrible place to stay. When those men stayed outside, Lot panicked. You can't stay in the open square. This is a dangerous city. They were that bad. They had become that bad. And listen to me, it will happen like that all the time. Give Europe enough time. They are going to literally, and justice will disappear. Right now, European Union is fighting, is it Poland? They're having a serious squabble. Another European country has joined them. Why? Because Poland said, listen, all this gay, no gay thing, it doesn't fit our culture. So there was a law they made, and their Supreme Court said there was nothing wrong with the law. Or they made a law. So European Union said, no, that law is is not is against the European Constitution. So the Polish government went to court, and their Supreme Court said clearly that Polish law is superior to European law in Poland. Oh, you think it's of course? It's a problem now. It's a major problem right now in Europe. Some nurses, I think from Sweden, some Swedish nurses, either last year, was it Sweden? Yeah. Yes, Christians, midwives. In that, in that country, 
In most places in the world, only doctors are allowed to do procedures like abortions, terminating a pregnancy. In that country, nurses are allowed. Midwives are allowed to do that. So they said they are not going to do because it's against their conscience, their religious beliefs and all of that. So they fired them. So they said, no, you can't fire us. That's religious discrimination. Let's make a long story short. They dragged the matter to the European Court for Human Rights. European Union, that was the highest court that could hear that in the whole of Europe. And those ones said there is nothing wrong with firing them if they will not do the procedure. That they cannot refuse to do abortions just because their faith does not agree with it. So as of today, no person on the basis of faith can refuse to perform a termination of a pregnancy anywhere in Europe. By law. Many countries may leave you for now. But the law has been established in Europe. That if called upon, you can't say no. See now, so they take starts. That's how it starts. They will tell you, say once there's godlessness, goodness disappears in the next generation. Right now, that's what's beginning to happen. You know, right now, in many countries in Europe, if you're tired of your, your grandmother, you can persuade her to go and commit suicide. You know that? Well, I've seen that they, they travel to another country, just say, I'm tired of living. And they talk to you for a few days to be sure you are really sure you are tired of living. They say yes. They give you injections and you die. Some of you are looking like, are you talking, are you, are you serious? I am very serious. It's not like if you think you are sick, but now it's no longer I'm sick. One woman who I saw, they did a video on her, watched it on BBC. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Now, early onset, that is, we don't know how bad it will get. She just began to notice some memory lapse. The first she may get was, you know, she does not want to live with memory loss. Discussed with her children. And she laid down in hospital and they killed her. Some of you, are, you don't know what's going on in this world. Oh, some people are like, are you serious? Yes. There was nothing wrong with her. More than she feared the concept of living with memory loss. And she sat with her three children, adults. She was in her early 70s or something. And she granted an interview. So tomorrow is the day she's going to die. And the, doc- the doctor arrived, gave her the injections, and watched her die and went home. Normal doctors will try to prevent you getting sick. This one tried to prevent her leaving. Which I don't know which one to use. He sat- and that's the job he does. Drives from one house to the other, killing people. Who said they are tired of life? The person said, when godliness disappears in one generation... Goodness disappears in the next. That's how it was in Sodom and Gomorrah. It became so bad. People think that all this. They say in Nigeria, I, I have the argument in my classmates a lot of times. People don't know anything. You think about life from the that soul level. You don't look at it from the spiritual level. From the spiritual level, I can tell you the direction each person is going. We can we can be crazy in our nation right now, but if the church will just continue to teach the truth. Spiritually, we are heading the right, no matter what you see physically. In fact, many of the problems you are seeing physically is a reflection of the drive. God is shaking us into the right direction. Because when you see demons being cast out, they will tear the person. They become very violent. A lot of violence you are seeing around is demons being expelled by the preaching of truth. That's why God doesn't joke with godlessness. He wipes people out because of godlessness. Esau was godless. That's why we went all of that. 
Solomon and Gomorrah became so bad. I read something that happened. Well, part of their history, they wrote it somewhere. Their corruption was so bad, a man hit another one, like maybe I slap you now, okay? And you drag the matter to a court, to a court, to a judge. The judge says, what happened? I said, um, you say that we're having a small discussion, then I beat you. I hit you hard, and then you bled. Meanwhile, I paid the judge, and you're a foreigner, and I'm a local. So the judge says, well, part of treatment for some disease those days is what they call bloodletting. You know that. They can, you lose some blood to make the help. They said, that I have helped you now. I helped you lose some blood. You should pay me. Yeah, it was a judgment given in Sodom. That's why God wiped them out. You can idiot at this one. God rained fire on them. Said the injustice. Sodom was a place where you will starve to death. Where a man is having a party and you can't let you in. He will, he will give the food to his dogs. He won't let the hungry come in and eat. It was that bad in Sodom. That was why God wiped them out. That's what happens with godlessness. And many of the countries are looking at it. You get there. Ah, it comes by different angles, but eventually you get godlessness always promotes those things. Listen, in the early stages, they'll be telling you, it will be as if those who are standing for righteousness as the wicked ones. They come to you and say, eh, you want that young girl to just miss her career like that because of pregnancy? The girl is only 18. She has her future in front of her. So they say, just kill the baby now. She can go back to school. And right now, one of our sisters told us, in Abuja, you know Joe Biden? You know Joe Biden? You know Joe? <laughs> I say to you tomorrow, you can insult Donald Trump all you want. Donald Trump has some funny behaviors. And you see it as we go on. If you look at Donald Trump, look at Jacob. Eh? And look at David. Donald Trump was more like David, was more like Jacob. <laughs> I hope I get my point. Joe Biden was more like, is more like Esau. I'm telling you. That's it. See, uh, uh, Jonah Trump, for four years he was in office. They didn't let those guys thrive. They couldn't take American money. But they're all over Abuja saying they are doing humanitarian, humanitarian, you know, you hear child, uh, girl education, tuberculosis control, HIV control, lie. They came here, one of our sisters, they, look, they say in Abuja, they interview you for a job, you're a qualified nurse, you're a doctor, you're a health worker of one sort or the other, or if you're just a scientist, or you're ready for training. They sit you down, talk to you, give you a job, starting four fifty thousand naira a month. That's your starting salary. Your job is to stylishly convince people to terminate pregnancies and say it is okay for a man to marry a man. They've they've entered our country. It's the same thing all the time. It's money. It, listen, it's money. Listen, it's money. And people who used to go to church, they start paying tithes of half a million naira salary a month, hoping that God, anytime he sees fifty thousand naira, he will forget. Because the other job you get outside down the road pays only 70000 So if somebody comes to church and says, praise God, I just got to Abuja, I got a new job, praise the Lord, and they start out his she will never tell you. You know, I keep on telling people. When they say bow to Satan, there's no shigidio. You don't go to a shrine and lick um, wood. No, nothing. They won't even eat drink. And Joe Biden's government pushes these things. And they start by telling you, oh, you have to be nice, nice, nice. It's those nice, nice stories. I was telling me, tell, tell, give me the gist that day. Those are the kind of they told her. Uh, what about abortion? He said, ah, no. He said, no, okay. Imagine a scenario like this. Do you want the girl to drop out of school? Let me just say something to you. Many of those things, worship of Molech. See, when blood is being shed on the earth, you have to watch the circumstances. Many of them is to worship idols. Many people are participating in the shedding of blood, don't even know what they are doing. They are invoking demons into environments, they don't get the point. 
Godlessness is a terrible thing. It's a slow poison. Very slow. That was why God went after and against Edom. Against Esau. He said, I will make his mountains a desolation. Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. That's the reason why he hated Esau. It wasn't because of predestination. Because, you see, once Jacob's heart was going after that inheritance, God knew that, listen, this kind of person will give birth to Jesus Christ one day. I don't know whether you got that. A man with this kind of heart, one day will give birth to Jesus Christ on this earth. With the insult kind of heart, they will give birth to an antichrist that will persecute the people of God so badly that were it not that God's mercy was available, no soul will be saved. That is what godlessness brings forth, antichrist. But no matter how, and he starts with a decent guy. In fact, I remember Derek Prince talking about Esau. That is, the, that is the best way to describe Esau in the British way is that he was a nice chap. The Americans would call him a good guy. Esau wouldn't defraud you. He worked hard for his money. He was a hard worker. Get up early, have a plan, come back home late in, in the day and have something to show for the labor in his hands. It's only one problem. He was a profane or a godless man. He de- and how did they know? He despised the birthright. He said, what can God do for me that I can't do for myself? And many of us Christians every day, we join the unbelievers to talk that nonsense. We are praying too much in this country. People are praying. When other people are there planning their economy. Only people speaking for Satan talk like that. Listen to me. If as a Christian you are talking like that, you are speaking for Satan. Listen, godlessness is a poison. It's a slow poison. You know, there's a tapia here. That's not godlessness. Godlessness is... I mean, if you watch many of these um, crime stories, you see people who poison, one woman poisoned her husband very slowly. Took the man years to die, but it was poison. Slow, slow poison. That's what godlessness is. It gives it to you sweet. You meet the Esau. And listen, young man, I was going to say young woman, but I'm happy young man came out of my mouth first because we used to think that a woman get a problem. Young man too get a problem. As some foolish young Christians that go and marry unbelieving girls. Young man, young woman, don't marry an unbeliever, no matter how nice. Listen, even if you're, if not only suspicion, say this guy is not born again. That you're not sure. You just suspect he's not born again. Run. Okay, Nana. Listen. That is, you just suspect this guy, you sure say you're born so. Once you think like that, just disappear first. But if you say Agbero, don't say Agbero. But for certain reasons, there is this conviction you can see, both in your heart and those around that this guy is really born again. Bros, sis, prefer him. I know what I'm telling you, I won't say much more than that. A non believer is a time bomb. Wrong. Don't go to God. Lord, let me pray. Don't pray. There are prayers that are sins. It's a sin. If you bring that matter to God, it's a sin. Go and say, God, oh, I don't know. This guy is very nice, sir. But uh, uh, Reverend Israel said that uh, he doesn't think he's born again. But then you know you can, you God, you can do all things. See, right there you have sinned. 
If you bring that kind of matter to God in prayer, it must be, Lord, I think I'm mad. Help my madness to go away. And the Lord said, which kind of madness is that? Do you know I'm in love with an unbeliever? God said, good. Let me help you remove the madness from your soul. That you came there for purging. You drew near to the throne of grace. That you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of falling in love with an unbeliever. Like we were saying here yesterday. Falling in love, I hope you know, doesn't exist in real life. It's stupidity. There is nothing like falling in love. So what do you mean? Listen, if you fall, do you stay there? Once you fall, you rise. What do you do with love? You place. Say, so what do you mean you place? Because he has placed, he has set his love upon me. You carry it and set it. He said, well, sometimes I fall in love. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's bad. It's for falling. So anytime you fall, you will struggle to get up. Have you, have you never seen somebody fell into a pit or something? Oh, okay, maybe not a human being. You saw a rat, a cat, fall into a ditch. This is the way they try to come out. Anytime you fall, you try to come out. And if it's love, forget it. Come out first. Wash your eye. Tell the brethren. They only not say, I, I don't think that guy is born. That is, don't even, don't, don't say, I say, God, are you sure he's not born again? God, come, see, I fell. Can I just rise? Because godlessness is dangerous. That's the point I'm making. Godlessness is dangerous. It is. Jacob, let's get back to the matter of Jacob and then back to David. Jacob was not strong. Jacob was not very honest. Jacob was more difficult to deal with than business-wise now than Esau. However, God loved Jacob. He loved Jacob. Why? Jacob appreciated what was important. God does not have any problem with unbelievers so doing unbelieving things. So. Did you hear what I said? If an unbeliever does things that shows an unbeliever, let me ask you a question. Even if you go, you go vex, his name is what? Unbeliever. Is that maybe I'm going, I'm going in my house and biscuit falls on the ground and bingo goes there, collects the biscuit. Will I be angry? You don't know what's bingo. But do you know, if any of my children try to pick the biscuit from the ground, if it's a little child, what do you do? You tap the hand. Child will look at you. Dirty, 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 dirty. Do you understand? Why? Believers are not supposed to do unbelieving things. It's when believers start doing unbelieving that God has a problem. That's what I'm going to make. Now, where am I going? All the nonsense talk we talk in the country. Unbelievers talking it is good. The problem with this country, all this physical analysis of the problem is okay as long as they are unbelievers. But what betide the, the Christian in the presence of God who opens his mouth and says we have prayed enough. Prayer is not what we need now. God will judge that individual. What betide the believer in the presence of God? Not in my presence. That is, God is angry with the believer who opens his or her mouth. And say, you know, the problem in this country, I will go to church too much. Now you see, all we need to do is sit down and plan. Let me give you the word of God. If they gather, I will scatter. That's what he said concerning Adam. He said, listen, they will be known as people 
against whom the Lord has indignation every day. It is not planning that is a problem. If God is angry with you, plan from now to tomorrow, it will fail. I don't know how, when Christians will learn that Africans' problem is not that they don't know how to plan. Africa's problem is that God says until the indignation is removed, you will never see progress. We're talking like unbelievers. Listen, I believe in spiritual things. I believe in spiritual things. It's not even a good statement. I know spiritual things. I'm aware of spiritual things. You can imagine Philistines gathering in the days of David that we need better war strategy. David will still kill all of you. Imagine all the giants gathering and saying, listen, these Israelites can't take us. You can just come together and agree. God said, if you come to an agreement, I will scatter your language. You will not understand each other. Why? I have decreed, the word has gone forth from my mouth, that this land I am giving to my children coming down from Egypt. As I swore to their fathers, I agree all you want. You won't get anywhere. Let's be careful. Because when we, like I was saying, we make statements that show that we don't value spiritual things. Believers, where are the problems in the country? We make statements that show that, you see, the problem we have right now, I keep on telling all of us who are here. I love our big brother in Lagos. The genuine prophet, I don't mean the fake prophets. You know, Lagos has a lot of fake, fake, fake prophets. All right? There are plenty. This is how you know a fake prophet. Shall I tell you how? Anyone that said T.B. Joshua was a great man of God is a fake prophet. There are plenty. All over Africa. Internationally. Once you say that a great prophet died, you are fake. I don't care how well you jerichal your hair. There's one small boy I saw the other day in Lagos. With fine, fine hair, with a stupid yellow face. Listen, you are a fake prophet. You know what he said? He said, anybody who says a fake prophet is a fake prophet, you are an idiot. You are a fake prophet. Who's your mate here talking? Let's, listen, mark my words. Let somebody go to a court to go and start services there. I give him a few days. He will go the way of the man who laid the foundation in that place. Don't be tolerating nonsense. That's a digression. <laughs> Let's not read it. But you know, in Lagos, we have one very senior prophet, very genuine. But it's only starting movement. Please leave Roy alone. Genuine man of God. Anointed. Called. If I see him, I will prostrate. Respect. But when God starts movement, I they shift. No, I move. Once the boy is starting his movement, Bros, you won't find my leg there. What we need, see, let me tell you, if you're a pastor, if you're a preacher, what we need in Nigeria is a spiritual movement. Political movements are bound to fail. Listen to me. When God begins to release a blessing, without any political movement, things will arrange themselves. You will find yourself cooperating with things that seem to be moving. Look, it's called the rivers of Zion. See, the rivers of Zion, you get into it, the stream carries you somewhere that God has already determined. You want to dig your own well? You want to dig your own, you know, create your own spring? You want to kindle your own fire? You know what God said? This you will have of my hand. You will lie down in torment. What am I going to emphasize here? You know, I began by saying that you deliberately create or you deliberately tap into the spiritual 
What did David do? He deliberately tapped into the spiritual. What did Jacob do? He went after the road into the spiritual. Jacob said, no, I am not going to struggle in this life to succeed and to make a name for myself. If there is, you know, Paul said like this, labor to enter into rest. So what was Jacob doing? He labored some wrong ways, but his labor was so he would enter into rest. Because anyone who enters into the rest of God assists from his own works. And I keep on telling people, eh? See, in this life, don't copy people that are blessed unless you are blessed like them. Because the next Goliath that finds anybody carrying stone. <laughs> you know, some people, <laughs> some people go and now write a book on the stone dynamics. The angle of the sling. How many rotations and revolutions did David accomplish? And at what tangent did he release the stone? Well, how was the angular velocity converted to rectilinear velocity? And then, upon, you know, if we're calculating cosine and sine and, you have, you, and tangent, you will, be, you will write books on the slinging of David. David said, oh foolish Galatian, why did you ask yourself whether I read that book? You didn't ask yourself, they say, you see, David was in the backside of the wilderness and practicing his sling. Amen. How many people did you see in key with sling after that day? If the key was a sling, you're wasting your time reading book on slinging. <laughs> Take it. David went there with nothing. Apart from the name of the Lord. Let me tell you the truth. If you go with the name of the Lord, time of battle, is, you will remove your belt and wipe Goliath. Goliath will die. See, most Goliaths in that, in, the, in, in that area, it was terror. God scared them with news and he ran away. Get that clear. The point I'm making is this. As believers, we deliberately activate the spiritual in our favor. We deliberately walk in the realm of the spirit. It's not something you do, you know, how do I say it? It's not like you go and look for God's blessing to bless material or mundane earthly principles. You ask yourself, how do I enter into God's rest so I can seize from my own works? I talked about Jacob because, you see, he understood that. So he labored hard. He was aggressive in the pursuit. Every opportunity he had to collect that thing from Esau, he went for it. And Esau finally lost it, like the book of Hebrews tells us, because he was a profane man, a godless man, who did not place any value on it. And I'm saying to you today, you know, many Christians, that's what Jesus said, if the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Many Christians don't place any value on spiritual things. If I tell you I'm sick, and I'm going to the hospital, you say, Bele, do you need money? They will give me money. Kind people. The doctor said, I will do six operations. Let us pray that the operation will succeed. And we sound like good people. We are still good. Just wait till our badness will show up. But if you go and meet somebody, you are not feeling well, no. What are you going to do? I intend to pray by the side of Jesus. I'm healed. I'm just going to. He said, ah, why is this guy taking chances with his life? 
Since they will get a problem. The counsel is always, uh, you know, God can also use the doctor. Why can't he use the shoemaker? The truth is that our heart <laughs> is there. We start making a, you know, one of my friends said to me in school, said, you don't understand us Christians. He said, if you take medicine, what you're supposed to do is pray that God, though this message I've taken, you know, may it work. I said, I was planning to work, or it was not planning to work. What is all Why are you joining God? Because <laughs> what I meant is that if you have faith in God, don't, the medicine is not necessary. Now, let's get my point. I was going to explain to him that you don't have faith. Let's leave it there. Don't come and be deceiving me that, uh, you know, you just pray that the med- it's, it's, it's called all year of little faith. Just acknowledge that the faith is little. Stop making it look like you are rational and irrational. Like I tell people all the time, listen, I have experience. Those who see doctors, they die. Those who don't see doctors, they die. Two people, they die. That is, everybody dies. But I make bold to say, faith has no incurable disease. But doctors confess every day about the incurable diseases. I attend meetings almost every Friday, unless I forget or I'm busy, in which we discuss incurable people, what to do with them. Many of those, I just don't, don't pick up my phone because, of course, these days, ever since COVID, we do most of the meeting now remotely. So, and it's, it's become so convenient, they, 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 we don't even bother to gather physically anymore. People log in. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. You know I'm laughing? Everybody there is a top-level specialist. You find surgeons, radiotherapists, all kinds of people gather. Top-level specialists to discuss what to do with people that we can't do anything for. Start hearing things like, no, at this stage, have you talked to the family? When you start hearing, have you talked to the family? When you hear, have you talked to the family? Uh, yes, uh, we plan to do that tomorrow morning. <laughs> Once they are saying, have you talked to the family? You know what that means? Put your house in order. Let me know how you should re- react when the Christian thinks that he wants to believe God. Like my brother Pastor Corey said, I will, see the person, I will see the person and say, how are you planning to do it? Because a lot of people say they are believing God, they are not believing God. They are just... They, they, they have enough sense to know that there is no hope. So they now say, okay, let me go to, or what the doctor is offering is rather drastic. Because some, sometimes, when you see the treatment that doctors offer, those who don't know will be following them. <laughs> those of us who know, say, like, let me die in peace. Our brother is who told me a story about one American doctor. He was feeling sick. He went to see another doctor. So when they finished with him, they told him what his problem was. He said, eh. And he needed the treatment they would give, so he, he gave them instructions. He said, no treatment. I'm going back to work. So he went back to work. He continued to work until he couldn't work again. And he told them again, no treatment. He stayed there until he, he died. No, he died. But he ensured nobody treated him. He said, why? I can't go through the harrows of the treatment that's offered for the advantage that's been offered to me. The guy said, let me die. And he was not a believer. He said, let me die in peace. As a banker, you are taking faith away from people in medicine. They should remove their faith. They should. Listen, this generation, we need to start believing God again. We have to start seeing miracles again. We have to deliberate. Listen, sometimes, eh? You know, Jesus does something sometimes. This is how we'll be looking at you. If I had time, I would have said it the whole day. 
Just looking at you like that. Waiting for you to get tired of the current situation. When you are tired, me too, I will move. You like it like this? We leave it like that. You say, giddy, 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 giddy. Oh, oh, yeah. Where's the hospital? Rawr, rawr, rawr. Ambulance, hospital. So we just enter the ambulance, be following you too. Say, give me space. Let me walk. What are you looking for? I want to come and see what people are doing there. Nobody has cried to him in an emergency with the kind of heart that Jesus, if you don't help me, let me die here. You see, we'll get to that point. Eh? When we get to that point, you know, there's something that God, Jesus does. Eh? He wants to be, oh, there's a kind of faith Jesus is looking for from us. This kind of, if I perish, let me perish faith. Yes. This kind of, if I die, let me die. All this testing, testing faith doesn't work. He's waiting for the kind of faith that, if I perish, let me perish. Listen. Israel wanted deliverance. If God knew what he was doing. Esther, if you don't make that statement, I won't use you. If you are waiting for assurance from the king before you go in, like I said, you have to do like this. And you'll start slaughtering the Jews. You'll be looking at this. Don't say anything. When Esther gets up and says, if I perish, let me perish. Jesus will say, now we are ready. I quote three people for us again. John G. Lake, Lillian B. Yeomans, and Kennedy Higgins. They said, if anybody gives me the same kind of attention they give to doctors, I will get them healed 100% of the time. 100% of the times, I will get them healed. If they would just give me the same attention they give to doctors. When a doctor says, take this medicine three times, they take it for six months, they do it. Talking to my wife the other day, I say, I've discovered sometimes in this life, people don't even want deliverance. What they want is touch and go. No, they touch and go. They really don't want deliverance. Because sometimes deliverance has a cost. And Jesus deliberately puts it like that to see whether you want it or you don't want it. Yes. You know, when God was angry with Saul for offering the sacrifice and waiting for Samuel, you know, I've reasoned that thing again and again and again and again. And the only understanding I just have of it is that because you go and read it, someone said, wait for me, what? For how many days? Seven days. Six days, this prophet refused to show up. The seventh day, he refused to show up. Then things began to scatter in the hands of Saul. Saul now said, okay, well, let's do what is wrong. Let's things scatter. As soon as it was done, Samuel walked in. Now, let me explain to you. Saul waited to the last moment. Which means Samuel waited to the last test moment. You like my English again? He stretched it to the end before he showed up. What was God saying in effect? Saul, I wanted you to be ready to die for my instruction. Yes, that's, that, look, that was what God wanted. I can assure you, there's a kind of faith God is going to demand of us beginning from now. It's a kind of faith. It's not faith as I believe him, he'll do it. He said, like, I will believe him. If he doesn't do it, I died there. Sometimes, that's why God allows us to go into some problems. You know, the opponents you get to go say, see, all the human help has finished now. 
when the human help has finished. I said, Excuse, sir. He said, Can I help you? He said, Lord, if you don't help me, you know I'm dead. He said, Good, now let's talk. Sometimes, not all the time, for some people, he does it deliberately. He hangs you out there and makes sure you have no other help. When help don't, ex- you know, help is exhausted. Help don't exhaust. You will have no other choice but to trust in him. What am I saying? This generation, our faith disappeared long ago. And that's why the power of God doesn't show up. We want to test God. He has to prove something to us first. Because, no, you are my people. I don't need to do that. God disliked Jews watching out for signs. Because you are people of the covenant. You should do things because I said so. I hope you're getting my point. That you are people of the covenant. There's <clears throat> a kind of faith we have in him. Say, Lord, if you don't help us, we will not be helped. I know the truth. Sometimes people will die. With that kind of faith. And God is watching the rest of us. What we are going to do about that? We will not say, you see, those who trusted him, some people died. And God will say, those who did not trust in God, they did not die. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He said, why is it that you cling up, you cling on to this life and you are ready to sacrifice your faith for physical life? Can't you love me until death? That's let me tell you, if they put a gun to your head and say, deny Christ, say, I'm not denying. Say, shoot if you want to shoot. Tell, say, I, I'm not going to deny. Now let's be wise, let's be wise, let's be wise. You know, if they shoot you now, you know, you have a wife, you have kids. So? Is that not why it's a test? Is that not why it's a temptation? He said, what should I do? Deny, then Jesus will understand. One, one joker actually said Jesus is not petty. That he would understand. I don't have a problem with your idiotic idea. I just have a problem with Christians who don't, who don't compare your idea with what Jesus said by himself. And you are using common morals to determine his personality. Jesus is petty. That's what you call petty. And should I prove to you, you say, I am a jealous God. You say it's not petty. He's jealous. He's only jealous. It's not petty. Nonsense. So if you deny me, I will deny you. You say it's not petty. Why do you want to use common sense to describe his character? He has described himself in the scriptures. You say, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you before my father and his holy angels. Some say, just deny him. They just deny him. Then when they let you go, you now reclaim him back. You believe the terrorist more than the Lord? What if you deny and he shoots you? Have you considered that possibility? (laughs) Have you, you know, the way we talk sometimes. Have you considered the possibility? That you deny him and he still shoots. You know, I'll be going to heaven and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, I didn't mean that. I just thought you would let me leave. <laughs> Nonsense. Let's be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, king, will not be careful to answer you in this matter. Our, the Lord, our God, is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us. However, even if he does not deliver us, he will not bow down to your idols. If it's a kill, start killing. This bowing will not happen. That's the kind of... Look, what I'm going to say. 
That's the kind of faith that deliberately activates faith. It's deliberate. We activate this faith. Jacob went after it, that whatever it will take, I must experience it. Let me ask you a question. In this life, what are you looking for? Listen. One man said, look, what you just want in this life? Sorry, sometimes I sound like I'm insulting people. But people need to be insulted so that they will think straight. They all he wants in this life is to be able to own a house and drive a brand new car. You are an... The only vision you have for life, just worship Dan Gote. And it will happen. Is that not so? You don't want to... Demon, you don't need to worship demons. There are so many rich people in Nigeria you can worship. So he just wants to be able to drive only a house and drive a brand new car. And the brother he talks to, that one looked at him and said, that's all you want from life? Come and work for me. Eventually, I will make it happen for you. He didn't have a house that time. He didn't have a car too. He said, but he was, had a small business. He said, just come and take a job. Don't worry. I'm guaranteeing you if you stay with me long enough, I will make it happen. That's an idiotic vision. Cockroach vision. Grasshopper vision. You know it's a grasshopper? It's a grasshopper vision. You know what David said? I'd rather stand at the threshold of the house of God than dwell in that nonsense house of iniquity. House of disobedience. I'm going to say something here. Those who have understood life, those are not their visions. I'm asking believers, what really do you want in life? You ask me, Banky, what do you want in life? I've told the Lord, well, if he allows me, I'll tell you. Not too many things. I'll give, there are three of them, but let me just drop two of them for you. One is that what the Bible calls the power of the age to come. We have to experience in this life. And Paul said it. He said, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. There's something people are looking for. You are looking for motor car. <laughs> yes. John said that which was from the beginning, which we beheld with our eyes, which we heard with our ears, saw with our eyes, then which our hands what handled concerning the word of life. Say, so what do you want? I said, Lord, where's the handling part? Handling part. We don't preach. Lord, where is the handling part? I told the Lord, I have faith in you. I love you very much. But don't do me surprise there too. Let's take a tour. Let's do like Moses. You think, people think Moses went in. I was looking at Hebron. and looking at Jerusalem. And touring the land. When you enter into that realm, this physical earth does not hold any attraction for you anymore. I will tell you the kind of thing that Moses saw. When God said, come, let me show you something. Moses came by this meeting. I'm telling you, this kind of meeting, Jesus said, come, let me show you where we are going to. Came down to Africa, and he saw congregations of black people with their hands lifted in worship. And he said to Moses, that is the house of God. That's the temple of God we are building. You are, you've done your part in it. That's the promised land. The promised land is not a physical geography. Uh, you think you'll say, okay, Yes, they saw the physical one, but what Moses really saw that gave him, how can you be going to heaven and earth will be satisfying you? Not possible. Moses has prophesied, the lost portion is his people. So the Lord said to him, let me show you my people. And he saw every tribe, every tongue, 
every race of human beings worshiping before the throne of God. Moses said this was a wife, a life well lived. God said to him, you have done your part in bringing that to pass. <laughs> if you want to have vision, eh, if I can just drive a car, I have a brand new house. Things that will melt when the Lord comes back. I say to the Lord, what do I want? I say, Lord, I want to see from above. I don't want to see from beneath. Sometimes I ask the Lord, I say, look, what's going on in Eastern Nigeria? I want to know. The knowledge of it alone will satisfy me. Because this one that goes slowly everywhere is a spiritual problem. Which are many cars do by the last six months? You don't think it's a spiritual problem? Why can't you go out on Mondays again? Every sudden life is changing. I said, no, I just want to ask the Lord, what's going on? And let me tell you something about God there. For you, for you to know that what I'm talking about is not a joke. Listen. One of the men that God loved the most in the scriptures was Daniel. He was so beloved that when God wanted to tell, talk to was it Ezekiel or Jeremiah, he said, if you like, he said, Daniel, Job, who was the third person? Was it Moses? Hey, let, me just, let me just get it right because we put these things down. He said, if these three men, he said, Noah, Daniel, and Job, Ezekiel was one I was talking to. He says, Noah, Daniel, and Job. Now, and letting you know that he loved, Daniel was unique. He said to them, listen, if these people were in the midst, as I live, declares the Lord, they could not neither deliver their son or their daughter. They would only deliver themselves by their righteousness. I'm not going to make an issue here. Daniel was a striking person with the Lord. A time came, Daniel began to pray for the consolation of Jerusalem. He began to pray for the deliverance of the people of God. And God saw the heart of Daniel. And he saw the kind of things that Daniel wanted. You know what he gave to Daniel as an answer? That's what the Bible calls, let your request be made known unto God. Then the peace of God, which passes all understanding. You know what God gave to Daniel? He gave him visions. He was praying for the consolation of Jerusalem. The deliverance of the people of God. What did God give to Daniel? Visions. He said, Daniel, O man of high esteem, I have come to give you skill and understanding. That is the reward that God gave Daniel was for him to see thousands of years into the future. So Daniel saw the church being built, the real church of God. And listen, that gave him consolation and he died in peace. I wish you understood the power of knowledge. That's why I asked the Lord, said, me, what do you want from this life? I want to see from above. I don't want to see from beneath. Because you know, Solomon said, anger lies in the bosom of fools. That is, when you don't understand what's really going on, you'll be getting angry anyhow. So I said, Lord, I don't want to be a fool. You know, sometimes I say, I won't be angry. I'm not a fool. No, no, no. That's not, the, that's not the remedy. The remedy is understanding. The remedy is understanding. So what are you looking for in life? That's my hand to make. Joseph said, I want that inheritance. Jacob, I wanted to say. He said, I want that inheritance. He went after it. We're talking about David. And you know, I said, I don't know whether I'm going to talk about David or Jacob today. But what I'm going to bring out is that look at people who had value for spiritual things. And that's the kind of person that God made David into. When he saw Goliath, he said, I come against you in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, who you have been defying. He invoked the spiritual into his situation. People will be telling us they think his counsel. 
get rid of the spiritual. Think with your rational mind. Human mind, in the midst of things that's going on, they say, we have prayed enough. What are you talking about? We haven't prayed anything. You get to a point in your life, you dig in and say, God, either you move or I die here. That is, move. I need to see you move or let me die here. That I cannot continue to live my life on the mundane level. And I'm saying this, I believe, prophetically. God says it until my people get to that point, they won't see anything. I've read my scripture and I realized that that's what God does for people. If he loves you, he pushes you to a point of desperation. Do you know who's... Hey, God, do you know who sent that bad pharaoh into Egypt? God. The people were happy. They were comfortable. They had become idolaters. Oh, well, had, you didn't ask yourself, how did they learn how to make a calf in 40 days? If I leave you for one year, can you make earring? Those guys made a calf. They were so good that Aaron said, I threw the thing in. Out came this calf. But one reason is that they had become idolaters. Isaiah will prophesy later under other circumstances. Said they are filled with influences from the east. They become so serious like the Philistines. In their case, like the Egyptians. Do you know something came to my mind the other day? I've not proven it from scripture, but there's a reason why I think I may be right. But that's what made brother there in my mind. Those two magicians that challenged Moses, I think they were Jews. Those magicians, Janus and Jambres, I think they were Jews. Now, please don't quote it. It's a thought I have in my mind. And Jewish record is that they moved out of Egypt with the Israelites. I suspect they were not part of the mixed multitude. They were Jews that had become comfortable in Egypt. Those guys were comfortable. So God looks, what do I do to these boys? He sent them one Assyrian. He walked into Egypt, took over the throne from the existing dynasty, started a new dynasty. And when they told them, he said, who are these? We said, they are the people of Joseph. He said, Menini Joseph. What is Joseph? He said, Joseph, let me hear what. And you know who sent him? God in heaven. He dealt harshly with the people according to the commandment of heaven. You know why? God said these people are too comfortable. They became unsettled. Then they began to cry for help. When they became desperate, initially when they began to cry, they were not desperate. So when Moses rose to deliver them, they said, Kilode, who sent you? You want to kill me the way you kill you now? Want yourself? Who made you a judge? An arbiter over us? Ah, before you, Moses said, look at this. And just by the way, let me just tell you now. I have seen enough to let, if you're a pastor, listen to me. There's no political deliverance for Nigeria. It does not exist. The, Nigeria won't see any deliverance in a long time. Do you know why? It's not politics. It's people. As long as people are wicked and they don't want deliverance, they will never get it. And I can assure you right now, an average Nigerian does not want deliverance. I feel bad. I'm serious. I feel bad what I'm about to say. See all the troubles we are seeing around, they will get worse. You say why? No, don't worry. You will be safe. Let not your heart be troubled. 
be of good cheer. He has overcome the world. But fact, they will get worse. You want to know why? I'll tell you the reason. The people are not desperate. Hear them talk. I was in Abuja last time I was coming from Meduguri. My flight was delayed, you know, supposed to get to Benin last week. I sat beside, well, I, I had to go and charge my phone because it had delayed so long, you know, my phone was about to run down. No, no, sorry, sorry, it's not my phone. So my battery, my laptop battery was about to run down. So I could stay at the airport for a long time once I have something to do. So I went to where I would charge, where I could charge my, it's Abuja airport, where I could charge my laptop. So I met one pastor that was charging his phone. So he didn't know I was a preacher, but just as a pastor. He said, he was telling me something about Nigeria. What's wrong with the country? And by the time he was done, he said, you see, I'm a pastor. I said, eh, okay, let's have some conversation. But they now called his flight, then he left. But let's make a long story short. When he finished talking, in my mind, I said, you know, never jam. And the people said, we never jam. This was a pastor. He was groaning about the problems in Nigeria. And he arrived at one point. He said, our problem was that we elected Buhari. I said, you have not seen anything yet. I just knew that we are in trouble. That is, <laughs> if a whole pastor, this is what he's still saying as of now. That means you have not gotten the point. You know what he was saying? That you see, we were wrong in rejecting Jonathan. We were tired of Jonathan. We rejected him. We not got Buhari. I said, you don't understand. But they now called his flight which didn't take off anyway, finally. <laughs> because when I was leaving, he was still standing there gr- complaining. <laughs> I passed by him to go and board. <laughs> I said, why can't people learn? You just use your own mouth now to tell me that we grumbled against Jonathan. And he testified. He's a pastor somewhere in the north. He testified, even though he's from the south, he testified that, listen, that most Christians rejected Jonathan because of this, this, and that. And they voted for Buhari, and that was a mistake. So I felt like saying, sorry, excuse me, sir. You just said to me, they had reasons for rejecting Jonathan. True or false? So you are saying, despite their reasons, they should have voted for him again. Well, common sense not just tell you that none of these men is a savior. I looked at this, my, but it's such a pity. He had to leave. We couldn't com- complete the conversation. I was going to say, you can't understand. You are, you are like Israel right now. You have rejected the rule of God. You keep pointing fingers at human beings. I'm saying something here. Listen, children of God, until we get... See, our big prophet in Lagos said he was starting a new movement. Hear ye the word of the Lord. You see, prophets can say two different things. One person will be right, another person will be wrong. You understand my point? This one, I am right. He's wrong. The next political movement you bring up we bring failure and frustration until you say our salvation is not in any political movement. See, I don't have a problem with saying it openly. Prophets challenge each other openly. Ah. Was it Zedekiah or Ananai? Which one of them was challenging Jeremiah? Jeremiah said 70 years, boys, digging. You're not going anywhere. That one said two years. Listen, why I'm saying what I'm saying is that until we are desperate to say, God, deliver us. And except you deliver us, there's no deliverance for us. I'm not going anywhere. So what God does is that he pushes us onto that point of desperation. 
And I say to you right now, how an average Nigerian Christian, we're not desperate enough. But we don't want to get to the point of desperation, actually. If we get enough instruction, if somebody teaches us the way I'm teaching right now, and says, guys, don't let it get there. Because if it has to get there, it will get there. God has determined it. He said, this thing you have said will not be. I will rule over you by force. I hope I've made some sense today. Because I want, I want to end my message here. I want to end my message here. The main thing I want to develop, you know, we have not even scratched the surface. Because I wanted to talk about the power of the anointing in your lives. In our lives. The power of the anointing in your life. The power of the anointing in my life. And what I'm trying to do is to stir us up to the point where that is all we want. Because when the anointing came into the life of David, it gave him the strength, the skill, the ability to defeat lions and bears. Are you getting my point? When the anointing, when the anointing came into the life of David, it gave him the ability, the strength, the wisdom to defeat Goliath. When the anointing came into the life of David, it gave him the how do I say it like this? He got for him favor so that men older than him submitted themselves to him. People who had command of armies, tribal leaders came to David, we read the last time, and showed him favor. The anointing of God upon him established him. How did David kill the lion and the bear? It wasn't natural strength. It was the endowment from heaven. I went through everything today to let us know that, listen, we have to keep our eyes there, looking for that anointing, desiring from the bottom of our hearts to experience that power. I was saying earlier, what do I want from God? I want to be able to testify like John, that which was from the beginning, which I heard with my ears, which I saw with my eyes, and which my hands handled concerning the word of life. I want to say in this life, I tasted of the power of the age to come. Ah! I mean, that's what I want. Whatever you are doing in life, you can be a housewife, a businessman, a businesswoman, a pastor, an academician, a civil servant. Come on. Your career must be marked by divine manifestation. You have to be able to speak like David. That I am what I am. By the grace of God, Paul said later. You have to be able to say, I killed a lion, I killed a bear. Everybody said, I couldn't do it. You have to take down a Goliath because we came against him in the name of the Lord. What Satan has been doing to us is to convince us to come down to his level. And we sit down every Sunday in church. Somebody will come and teach us 17 dietary keys to lower your cholesterol on a Sunday morning. Six keys of Bitcoin investment. In church. How to grow your investment portfolio. Because you have come down to Satan's level. You'll be fighting Satan all the days of your life. Occasionally you get a victory. You come and testify, praise God. Last year we had this investment in Bitcoin. This year, praise the Lord. God is just looking at you like this. Then God has more testimony than you. Because he has followed his own thing diligently. And let me say something to you. God likes taking down giants. It's to find the people that are interested in his power being manifested 
in that taking down of giants. That's the only problem he has. Let's bow our heads. Let me stop. Leave it there. Let's just give the Lord thanks. Let's say, Lord, we thank you. I, I, I hope you heard the things I said today. Just use that one to pray. Just take a minute and pray to the Lord.